0: the Dan Bongino Show. Get ready to hear the truth about America with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Hey, ready to go, man. Yeah, man, me too. Hey, um, again, Merry Christmas to all of you. Hope you had a great Christmas yesterday. I certainly did. Got my wife a nice uh, Burberry bag, and she got me the king of all man gifts, in my humble opinion. You may disagree. You may think it's a bit nerdy. I don't. But The first appearance of the Punisher in Spider-Man 129. You got to love the Punisher. What guy does not love the Punisher? How can you not love a character known as the Punisher? Hmm. How can you not? I'm just asking. So it may surprise you that... I'm into that kind of thing. But when I was a kid, I was really into comic books. Uh, I, of course, like every other kid, I sold probably about $500,000 worth of them for, (laughs) for, for the cost of a turkey sandwich in Tommy's Deli in the corner in Glendale. But my wife has been working very hard to accumulate back at least the valuable one. She got me, uh, was Daredevil number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the Punisher, Spider-Man 129, which note, if in that movie, Coyote Ugly, if you've ever seen it, that is the comic book that the kid sells to get his girlfriend on stage and then has to, she buys it back for him later. So pretty cool, damn Bongino right. story, but I hope you all did well. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool, I took a picture, I put it on my Instagram if you want to see the cover. All right, let's get into it, because uh, yesterday was a Christmas cuts, and we haven't got into our uh, standard political discussion, so no more time to waste. There is a stellar, spectacular, fantastic article at the Wall Street Journal today. I am not sure if it's subscription only I don't think it is because I've seen it in a couple other places either way it's in the show notes today I will give you the information in it, so no worries if you can only read the first few paragraphs but it is spectacular and it is about uh, Obamacare and I, again I know this is this constantly comes up this constant theme but it just the article just thoroughly eviscerates again additional talking points put out by Democrats that are in fact not true are lies are manipulative deceptive and are just designed to make you believe that somehow this thing has just an ounce of success left in it when it doesn't. So two talking points I've heard repeatedly on the on the news channels, the cable news channels from talking heads repeatedly Mm -hmm. that these people know isn't true Mm -hmm. to defend this disaster. Joe, one of them. Is about how successful it's been with regards to improving overall health. And that we'll get to in a second. But the second one is more pernicious because it requires an intentional manipulation of data for you to believe it's true. One of them you've heard, Joe, and you've heard this before on the show, is them saying, well, it's controlled overall healthcare spending because the arc, the spending arc has gone down since Obamacare was implemented. No, 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 no. I've repeatedly debunked this nonsense, but I must say, um, James Freeman in the journal does a much better job. I have to throw myself under the bus here, man. It does a much better job of making this elegant and simple and showing you why that's true. So just to repeat, the talking point by the left is overall healthcare spending has declined ever since Obamacare passed, and therefore it's been an unbelievable success. Now, most of you know that's not true just by getting your bills in the mail, right? Joe? Yeah. You're like, uh, <laughs> what? Come again? Right. My healthcare bills have gone through the roof since Obamacare passed. Here's the scam. It's nothing more. I love than exposing scams. Okay, here's how they'll start, Joe. They'll say overall healthcare spending uh, was five point seven percent a year from uh, two thousand three to two thousand ten. This is the liberals talking. Okay, yes. so five point seven percent a year from mm-hmm. two thousand three to two thousand ten. Yeah. But since Obamacare, it's been four point three percent from two thousand ten to two thousand sixteen. Oh, all right, all right. We lose. Mm-hmm. Liberals win, Joe. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew, Joe? Who knew that they had controlled healthcare spending to such a degree? There's always a scam. Here it is. Hat tip, James Freeman. Folks, this doesn't take into account inflation. Huh? Now, how would that? Yeah, huh? Huh? that would, how would that lead to the how? Uh, how would that enable you to torture the statistics? Well, if inflation in those years, monetary inflation, was higher from 2003 to 2010, the nominal costs of healthcare are going to appear higher based not on the cost of healthcare, Joe, but just based on the inflation, mm. the the inflation of the currency. It, you, you see, mm-hmm. I mean, do you see the point I'm making here? Mm-hmm. So when you actually adjust the numbers for inflation and you use real dollars, not nominal dollars, right? Let me give you just a quick example of the difference. Okay. If I were to say to you, using only nominal dollars, Mm -hmm. man, housing is so much more expensive now, Joe. When my father bought his house in Selden, uh, you know, whatever, 30 years ago, that house was only, you know, $30,000. Man, that house is $400,000. My gosh, what an investment. No, folks, that's the nominal amount. When you adjust it for inflation, yeah, the price of the house went up, but it did not go up to that degree. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. If you were to price that in dollars, the way dollars were priced when they bought the house, the value of the house would probably be 100000 not 400000 right. You get the difference? Yes. Pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what the Democrats did in this scam, where they said, look, we cut your costs. When you adjust for actual inflation, which was higher from 2003 to 2010, Joe, <laughs> no, <laughs> no shocker here at all. By the way, you have that uh, couples retreat, yes, guy. Cue him up. Oh yeah, I sure love I that guy. Get him ready. All right, but when you factor in inflation, the 2003 to 2010 numbers, healthcare costs went up 2.6 percent. When you factor in inflation after Obamacare, they went up 2.7 percent. Now, Joe. Hmm. I'm going to ask you a simple question. All right, Dan. Which number is greater? 2.7 mm-hmm. or 2.6? 2.7, Dan. 2.7 wins again. Play Couples Retreat Yes Guy. Yes. Yes. yes! 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 Yoga instructor from Couples Retreat. Love <laughs> that guy. I forget who sent that over. Is it Ron P? But I think him. it is, yeah. Yeah, he's a good man. We love that. I love that guy. Yes! <laughs> Folks! They didn't factor in inflation. It de- By the way, they did this intentionally. So again, it's a scam trying to get you to believe that something that's not in fact true, that Obamacare's control costs um, is a myth. It's nonsense. Now, mm. making this even worse. So we control for inflation the way they do with every other economic statistic and financial statistic out there. Making it even worse, Joe, is they didn't factor in population growth either. So population growth from 2003 to 2010 pre-Obamacare was higher than it is now. Mm -hmm. What does that have to do with it? Well, if the number of people spending money is growing at a faster rate prior to Obamacare on health care than it is afterwards, and you don't adjust for that, you're going to get a skewed statistic Mm -hmm. based just on the number of people spending money on health care, not the cost of the health care itself. Make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. It's like saying, well, population growth, the number number of jackets, 2003 to 2010, was through the roof, number of jacket sales, and it slowed down after 2010. Well, did it? Or is it just the number of people who moved into the country and the population growth who, of the number of people who required jackets? Well, when you control for population growth, Joe, here we go again. And you make it spending per person, which is the right way to do it on healthcare. 2003 to 2010, it was 1.7%. 2010 to 2016, it was 1.9 percent. Yes, <laughs> uh, 1.9 is greater than 1.7. 1.9, 1.7, 1.9, 1.7. Folks, I, I, I don't. I, Again, I hate to beat you over the head with this stuff, but I read it this weekend and I actually emailed myself the article from the journal because I'm like, you can't, you can't trust, you cannot trust anything they tell you. Liberals will say anything, will torture any statistic to get you to believe your eyes are lying to you. Here's one more thing that's troubling. And on a very serious note, um, my wife brought this up this morning. She was watching a really horrible video about the opioid epidemic in Ohio. And she's like, you know, Dan, she doesn't call me Dan, but she's, you know, she says, um, this is really—you got to watch this. This is so deeply disturbing. I said, "Man, I'm really glad you brought that up because I was going to address this this morning. A very serious—not to be a Debbie Downer, the day after Christmas—but, folks, this is the first time in the post-Obamacare era. This is the first time since 1962 and 63, Joe, that life expectancy in the United States has declined two years in a row. That's really serious, yeah. folks. I mean, these are these are lives that are being snuffed out now. I, I want to be fair here. I, I, I'm not, neither does the article. This is in that Freeman piece, too. Pin this entirely on Obamacare. I think it has a lot to do with it. Don't get me wrong. But it's not entirely Obamacare. There's a good chunk of it. Now, you may say, well, why would you even say that? Well, folks, the data bear it out. One of the factors factoring into the uh, decreased life expectancy I mean, that's a staggering number. I mean, d- decrease two years in a row in a society where medical technology is exploding by the day and people are dying earlier. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong here, folks. One of the reasons is the increasing use of, of drugs, um, opioid drugs, and people getting addicted to them. I'm not, I, Folks, please, I get it. I understand the overwhelming majority of people use these drugs responsibly. I want to be crystal clear on this. I am not suggesting some massive government invention into the pharmaceutical market. I am not suggesting that at all. Please, so don't email me saying, why are you attacking? Be-? You know, I need these for my pay- I I totally understand. I'm just giving you the numbers about people who are not behaving responsibly. Some dying. The costs on the, the human cost of this of Obamacare has been dramatic, folks. This is a staggering number. Overdose overdose deaths per capita from drug use have risen twice as much on average between 2013 and 2015 in states that expanded Medicaid. Now, why would that be? Mm. Well, folks, maybe because in Medicaid, uh, uh, Medicaid patients are more than twice as likely to be subscribed. These opiate drugs as normal as as uh, as states that uh, excuse me, patients that have private health care. So Medicaid patients twice as likely to be prescribed opiates. Some of those opiates are being resold on the streets. Folks, it's uh, is this causal. Can you prove it's causal? No. Are the correlations worth noting? Absolutely. Combine that with the high deductibles Obamacare has put up, uh, you know, laid upon us. And folks, I'm bringing this up because this is going to be the next argument again. Believe me, the Obamacare getting rid of Obamacare debate has only just begun after their first failure. I think the Republican caucus is reinvigorated after the tax success. You're going to see this again. You're going to see this Obamacare debate again. The high deductibles—it's forced upon us. People aren't going to the doctor, Joe, because they don't have—you know—their first say five to ten thousand dollars of medical coverage yeah. isn't covered from the deductible. They don't have the out-of-pocket money. Right. Combine that with the fact that Medicaid patients, Obamacare expanded Medicaid dramatically in those expansion states. These people are being given drugs some of them can't manage, twice as more uh, twice as much as uh, people who are on private insurance, and it all makes sense folks what's going on. Why life expectancy especially in these states is gone down. So just to be clear on this. Obamacare has done nothing to control costs. Costs have gone up when you adjust for population growth and you adjust for inflation. Secondly, not only have costs gone up, life expectancy has gone down. This is the absolute epitome of a failed program. Everything it told you it was going to do, it actually did the opposite. That is stunning. We're going to cut costs. We're going to increase quality. Quality has gone down. People are dying and costs have gone through the roof. All right. I, again, I don't mean to beach over the head with Obamacare, but it's a really, really good piece. And it just goes to show you how far the depths of depravity these people will go to lie to you to get you to believe that something's happening. It's not really happening. All right. Today's show brought to you by our buddies at My Patriot Supply. You haven't read for these guys in a while, yeah. which, is, uh, you know, which is a shame. Yeah, yeah. It's a real shame because, listen, you need to be prepared, folks. You know, they send over a lot of suggested reads, but I really like to wing this one myself uh, my patriot supply because it, this product means a lot to me it does i, I you know i am as a former Secret Service agent and a police officer before that, sometimes seeing the worst society has to offer us, I've always said to myself, Gosh, what would happen if we even had three, four weeks of chaos, a massive blackout, an EMP attack? Uh, we were cut off, supply lines were cut off due to a hurricane or a storm. And, you know, I saw it down here in Florida when the grocery store shelves were barren for about a week. You start to say to yourself, Gosh, what would you do if this was a month? Folks, you have to have an emergency supply of food. It makes absolutely no sense not to, especially for the cost my patrons supply will give you it. They'll give you a one-month supply of emergency food that lasts an astonishing 25 years. That's not 2.5. That's 25 years this stuff lasts. You get it. You stash it. Hopefully, you never need it, but God forbid you need it. Better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Go to preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com pick up your one month supply of emergency food today. It's just $99. Folks, $99. This is a perfect time after the holidays. You got a gift card out there. Go prepare yourself. Get it. Stick it in your closet. God forbid you need this stuff. It is an insurance policy for 25 years. So you never have to look your kids in the face if God forbid there's a food crisis and say, we don't have any food left. Go pick it up. I've got tons of it. I buy it from them. I, you know, Maybe if they're listening, it'd be nice if they'd send me some more freebies. But I buy I do. I like it so much. I might even kidding? I'm, I'm, you know, I feel bad asking them. Trolling, I need it in one box. <laughs> yes. yeah, well, yeah, I know, right? But I do. I love it so much. I got one box in the beginning for free that I took a picture of to put on my Instagram. But okay. I buy this stuff. I'm not kidding. I'm not making it up. I never lie to my audience. I buy it myself. That's how much I believe in this product. Go to preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com. Go pick up your one-month supply of emergency food today i always think to myself too like, if there's a zombie apocalypse yes you really want to be the owner of my patriot supply like you have a warehouse full of food right joe forever yes. like you have a warehouse full of food it lasts you 200 years so these guys are great go to PrepareWithDan.com. all right here's a story i threw in last but i'm going to talk about now quick because i'm really fired up about it and very upset there's another article in the wall street journal today about um this goes to show the depravity of the Democrats up on the Hill and the far left wing of the Democrat Party, how sick these people are. They really are sometimes. Not talking about all Democrats. I mean, the far left wing. There's a program out there, Joe, for our vets right now. Joe, you'd agree with me. Mm -hmm. I know because I know your respect for our cops, our firemen, our first responders and our military Mm -hmm. folks. Wouldn't you agree that the one issue that pretty much shares bipartisan support, not up on the Hill so much? But out there in the general population, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, whatever it may be, is support for our veterans, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Not complicated. No. I mean, uh, 99.9% of Democrats and Republicans say, listen, we got to take care of our veterans. They've made a sacrifice that you know most of us haven't. And that's important. Well, there's a program out there that was instituted under the Obama administration uh, called the it's a choice program. And what it enables veterans to do need health care is to escape the bureaucracy of the V.A. And subject to certain rules, they can seek health care outside of the V.A. network. The V.A. is a series of of hospitals, uh, the Veterans Administration, where vets can go for care. Uh, Of course, many of you remember the scandal, the waiting list scandal. Mm -hmm. People were dying on the waiting list, the vets waiting list for these hospitals and these hospitals are. I uh, I firmly believe are are not doing their jobs. I'm not knocking the personnel there. I'm just saying they're not getting the job done. It is a third party payer system managed by the government. It is single payer healthcare at its worst. I'm sure the people there are very good. I'm sure the people there genuinely care about the vets. But the system designed, they designed for veterans' healthcare, is not conducive to supporting vets. It's conducive to supporting the bureaucracy. It is not a free market run institution. When it's not free market run, the consumer is not your primary interest. The government is because that's where you get your funding. Now, the scandal that happened at the VA was real. Even Obama had to make a change who, believe me, has no interest in going after single pay at all. So he allowed some veterans to go seek health care outside of that network, subjected to certain rules, Joe. Well, surprising absolutely no one listening to this program who understands the basic economics of supply and demand. Well, what happened, Joe? The popularity of the program soared. Sure. And patient visits, according to the Wall Street Journal, increased more than 30% in, in the first quarter of 2017. Now, what's the problem here? The answer is there is no problem. Mm -hmm. They gave veterans an option to seek health care from an institution either closer to their home or a doctor they thought was better that was outside of the VA network. And shocker, Joe, they took it Mm -hmm. in big numbers. So what do you think the Democrat response to this has been? Not all of them, but a good portion of them up on the Hill. Mm -hmm. They want to shut this baby down and cap that funding. Of course they do, because God forbid veterans who served our country get to actually choose the doctor they go to, like most of us out here in the real world. They have to be subjected to a labyrinthine, bureaucratic VA nightmare every single time and allowing them to pick their own doctor or hospital. God forbid we got to shut that down. Now, this goes to show you a constant theme of this podcast from day one. I've hammered down your throats and it relates to this Obamacare story I covered first, too. The Democrats will lie scheme steal manipulate do whatever they have to do deceive you whatever they have to do torture the statistics because what matters to them is not so much primarily it's not it's not so much the money it is the control the entire some people get confused they think I oversimplify this and I don't hmm. the entire ethos of the far left post jFK, Pre-JFK, the Democratic Party really did care about the private sector, not as much as the Republicans did, but they did. Post-JFK, the far left tilt of the Democratic Party is tilted towards socialism. The one key component of socialism, the defining feature of socialism, is the government control of the means of production. The amount of stuff that that those entities, those socialist governments produce is secondary to controlling them. In other words... Whether you produce enough food for the population or not, in a socialist government, is secondary to you controlling the food supply. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, because there's power in control. So people say, "Well, well, wouldn't they be concerned about feeding their people?" No, no, they're not. They're they, they they're concerned about controlling the food supply. Mm-hmm. This is what socialism is. It's the government control of the means of production, the means of producing food, water, engineering, equipment, bridges, tunnels, cars, whatever it may be. Control is everything. The power of no. Yes, the power of no, as Chuck Eckers is told it? me once, the former Howard County executive. It's a great line he told me. He said that government always grows because there's no power in telling people yes. There's only power in telling people no. No, you can't have food. No, you can't have this. That's where the power is. This is the essence of the new modern Democratic Party. How does this relate to the Obamacare story? The Obamacare story I told you first about how they're lying about the statistics to get you to believe this thing has been efficient is they'll sacrifice their morals. They'll sacrifice the truth so that they can expand their power over the network. And they do it by what Kevin Williamson calls the new socialism, by taxing you through Obamacare taxes and regulating what you can buy. So therefore, they already control the system. They tell you what health care you can buy and they tax it. They will lie to preserve that under any circumstances. They will also stop our own veterans, an area, as I, I let off saying, a sphere of our societal fabric that enjoys universal bipartisan support amongst the population. But even the Democrats in the Congress know They know that our veterans want another option, and they want to cap the program to make sure you, if you serve, that you have to go to a hospital, a VA hospital you don't want to go to. They will stop you from doing that. Why? Because they control it now, Joe. They control the VA. They control the hiring. They control the appointments. They control the doctors. They control everything. Folks, uh, this is a serious question. You think I'm making this up? Now, if you're a conservative, you probably agree. But if you're a liberal listening, very seriously, do you think I'm making any of this up? Give me one logical reason. Logical reason why veterans who are some of the brightest among us, patriotic, serving Americans with a good that they have. I mean, a sacrificial spirit about them. The best of us. Give me one good reason why a popular program. Where Democrats who are smart, I mean, excuse me, where veterans can make their own decisions who want to leave the VA system. Give me one reason why you would tell them they can't. Well, just give me one. What do you know about their health care that they don't know themselves? You can't. It is about control. It has always been about control. I read this story this morning and I was furious. Furious. I mean, Whatever. Unbelievable, man. It really is. I mean, the stuff these guys get away with is just incredible. And nobody ever calls them on it. It's just frustrating. Speaking of which, by the way, a hat tip to one of our regular listeners, uh, Ben, S. who uh, I had mentioned a clip. You have that clip ready, Joe? Yeah, man. I had the Joe was kind enough to cut it for us this morning. I had mentioned a clip this past week about, uh, and I think it was a Friday or Thursday show, a clip uh, involving Thomas Sowell and a Pennsylvania bureaucrat from years ago, and I mentioned it as an example of how Democrats will constantly manipulate the argument, lie, and torture statistics, and when they get called out, they really have nothing to say. And Ben sent the clip over from YouTube, this Thomas Sowell clip. Let me just set this up for you quick. It's about a minute, just so you use those are pretty long cuts for, and Joe knows that, but I didn't want to cut it in half like we would typically do, because it's not live radio, and you can listen through it. But it's about a minute cut. And just to start it off, it opens up with this this woman, this this liberal bureaucrat from Pennsylvania. This is from years ago, by the way. Uh, I think it was, gosh, the 70s. It was was a really long time ago. But it's a wonderful piece. And listen to how the woman tries to torture uh, torture her, logically torture her way through an argument. Her argument is they're debating the benefits of welfare. Standard welfare. You know, cutting people... Checks for not working. I mean, essentially, it's what it is. You call it a safety net, but that's what the program does. Um, you know, when you, when you work, you lose a lot of the benefits. So she's trying to defend welfare and make some absurd points. And then Thomas Sowell interjects afterwards and just chops her down. Play the cut. You
1: have a whole group of people who are the single female head of a household. And yes, cut off welfare tomorrow. What will they do? What will be their immediate response? At what price to their small children and to their uh, middle-aged children? Uh, Yes, they'll get a job. In fact, the statistics show that women, in fact, are the most successful through the employment program. But what has to supplement that typically is the provision of some kind of daycare arrangement. Either the individual woman has to earn enough money to be able to pay privately for her daycare, or in fact she is, quote, subsidized through this insidious, uh, corrupting program, set of programs run by the federal government, which in fact makes her employable and a taxpayer. Uh, It's a, it's An interesting uh, notion of trying to get people in a productive mode. It's incredible the the way you start the story in the middle, uh, as if there's a predestined amount of poverty, a predestined amount of unemployment, and that the welfare system is not itself in any way responsible for that. There is a predestined 20% of the bottom half of the population. I I have never, well, that's always been true. There's going to be 20% at the bottom. (laughs) It's also true that 20% of the bottom population doesn't have to be living on the government and
0: ruled by the government. Yeah! Yes, yes. Gosh, now you know why I love Thomas Soul so much. Yeah. bingo. Yes. Now you know. Think about what she says there. How she tortures the numbers, and and it, she makes almost a convincing case in the beginning. She's like, "Wow, all these women. How would they get back to work if they don't have daycare? They don't have money." He says, "Well, why are you starting in the story in the middle? Why are they one? Why are they poor now?" Oh, they're poor because maybe some of the welfare programs liberals liberals have, 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 have vociferously backed for years, Joe, are providing an economic incentive to some, uh, granted, of course, not all, but to some single-parent households of either side to say, hey, well, listen, I don't need to marry or I don't need to keep a job because, look, I'm being paid by the government to not have one. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating argument. She starts in the middle of the story, never starts in the beginning about how we got to the poverty chapter. She's like, well, women are poor. How would they get back to work if they didn't have these government benefits in the daycare? Yeah, but how did they get poor? That's chapter one through six. <laughs> Beautiful point. She, by the way, but she completely ignores. Okay? Yeah, I know. Secondly, uh, she does. She, she yeah. just glosses right over it. Secondly, Thomas Sowell brings up a great point. When you, hear, and This is, again, how the left tortures data, just like the Obamacare story. She says, well, there's always going to be a bottom 20%. Now you hear that and you're like, yes, that's right. There's always going to be poor people. Always, always going to be a bottom 20%. Thomas Sowell, by the way, Friedman, Milton Friedman's on the panel too, which makes it such a great uh, great debate. And I'm going to put the link to this debate, by the way, the entire debate in the show notes at Bongino.com today. So if you join my email list at Bongino.com, I'll email to you. Please join my email list. It really helps us a lot uh, get our message out there and get these great articles out there and this piece today. Watch the whole thing. But Joe, think about what you just said. There's a bottom 20%, which makes you believe, Joe, that what, two out of 10 people, you know, uh, that two out of every 10 people are really poor and need help. But Sol brings up another, uh, uh, really, I don't even want to say a great point, just a common sense point that this this liberal seems to forget. Of course there's going to be a bottom 20%. How mathematically does that work out otherwise? if you have, hmm. Joe, I, I don't know if you see where I'm going with this, but let me make this real simple. If you have 10 people in a room in a rich country, super rich, the top guy, number one, makes 10 million a year. Number two makes 9 million. Number three makes 8 million. Number four, you go down the list, 5 million, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is, and you get the five, six, seven. Number eight makes 500,000. Number nine makes 200,000. And number 10 makes 150 a year. Is there a bottom 20% in that room? Yeah, there sure is. There sure is. <laughs> but the guy at the bottom makes 150000 a year. Soul, just, listen to the clip again. Rewind the podcast and listen to it again. He makes an elegant point about how Democrats torture statistics. When they say the bottom 20%, they're assuming, assuming because they start the story in the middle, that the people at the bottom are in fact poor when Soul says, no, that's just a mathematical tautology. Of course there's going to be a bottom 20%. But the bottom 20% don't have to be poor. Now you see the point he was trying to make by saying, when he says to the woman, you're assuming there's a predestined amount of poverty. Just because there's a bottom 20% of earners doesn't mean they have to be poor. Yeah, and to be honest, that got by me. It did. I I know, it probably gets by a lot of people, not just you. The point he's trying to make is, and if you watch it, he goes into it in more detail, we just don't have the time on the show. But that's the mathematical point he's trying to make. What she's telling you is a tautological statement. Mm-hmm. Tautological meaning it's 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 truth on its it's truthful on its face. There's going to be a bottom twenty percent. It reminds me of a statement I forget who said it, but. Um so Megan McCain, George Will one time where they're debating on a on a weekend show, and Megan McCain says to George Will, like, Well, the youth are the future of the Republican Party. George <laughs> Will looks at her, and it's like, uh, that's a tautological stuff. Of course, I mean yeah. th- I'm, not, I'm not knocking Megan McCain. I mean, I get what she was saying. She wasn't but the statement in itself, when when divorced from the emotion, it you know, it's like saying the youth are young. Yeah. You see, Joe? Yeah. Like saying the bottom 20, there's always going to be a bottom 20% adds nothing to the argument at all. Zero. The woman who's a liberal is assuming that those bottom 20%, those bottom two out of 10, those bottom 200 out of 1,000, that they're poor. But they don't have to be. That's the point. you Joe, you could have 10 earners in a room. The top earner makes 10 million. Mm-hmm. And the guy at the bottom makes, you know, 997,000. You could if everybody in between was 997 point, you know, 100, 997.2, 900. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. assuming the bottom 20% of poor. This goes, this is why, folks, I included this today because I mentioned it last week and Ben was kind enough to send a clip over, which he found on YouTube. But with regards to my opening debate on Obamacare and the point on the VA, how the Democrats rarely, if ever, the ones up on the hill will tell you the truth on anything and be skeptical. Be skeptical of the statistics they throw out there if they don't make sense. If someone says to you, oh, the bottom 20% of, you're like, wow, they're so poor. We do have to help the bottom 20%. Well, why? Why are they poor? Oh, because you started the story in the middle of the book and assumed that the bottom 20% of earners were somehow making a dollar a year. It doesn't have to be that way. And I think if I may for a moment, I don't do a lot of self-congratulatory nonsense, but I think one of the things that makes our podcast a little different is Joe and I do spend a lot of time on facts and data and debunking stuff. Mm -hmm. And I get it. I understand why a lot of other, I'm not, there are a lot of very, very intelligent conservative hosts out there. Believe me. I know many of them personally. I just think they, they, I, and Joe, you may agree with me. You've been in this business a long time. i heard a lot. Yeah wouldn't you say that i think they're under the misconception they're living under the misconception that the conservative audience is going to be bored by facts and data Mm. i entirely disagree joe you've seen the feedback i've sent you the emails on the show one of the big things about our show i think that separates is we back the stuff up with the actual data from the journalism pieces and from the research out there and people are like wow sky bongino is right i mean i have been lied to like it's hard to refute that when you adjust for population you adjust for inflation obamacare spending's gone up like what do your liberal friends say about that yeah well you know that's just like uh your opinion man that's that's what they say what where else do you go with that i mean once you once your your arguments are thoroughly refuted where do you go with it it's either that, the dude, or it's like you're a racist. That's typically their other. Oh, well, you're definitely a racist. Or you hate women or something. Or, you know, uh, Muslims or you're Islamophobic or phobic, istophobic, phobic, phob. That's all they have. It's really upsetting. Mm-hmm. All right. Today's show also brought to you by uh, buddies at iTarget. Thank you to everybody who has picked up the iTarget Pro system. This is a – I had a guy send me an email this weekend. Uh, he got it for Christmas, and you know who you are, and he hasn't been able to put the thing down since. And the nice part about it is there are things I didn't even think of. He's like, Dan, the great part about the iTarget system, which, by the way, is a trainer for your firearm to improve your marksmanship. I'll explain what it does in a second, but I didn't even think of this, Joe. He's like, listen, there are things you you would do in in live shooting at the range that are – you." You have a tough time doing that. Are dangerous, Joe? Like I had mentioned in the Christmas cut show yesterday, doing your own personal stress course. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're physically fit enough, go run around, do some jumping jacks and push-ups, then get on the iTarget system and see how your training works. Because that's what it's going to be like in a firefight. This guy brought up another great point he's like, I have this system. He goes, and I put it up around my room and stuff in the house where I, God forbid, if I had to defend myself, it would happen. You know, someone broke in your house. Hmm. He's like, and I was shooting around corners and moving the target around. I didn't even think of that. I was like, wow, that's a great idea. Like you could, practice in your house in a real situation like where would i go where's the cover where's the concealment you can only do that safely with this you're not going to god forbid live fire in your house you'll kill someone definitely don't do that now listen the range is expensive it's great to go to the range everybody loves the range it's great but it's expensive rounds you got to clean your gun you got to buy the rounds you got to drive there i get it it's good to go but we're not able to go all the time i target pro their system they will allow you to shoot safely in your home here's how it works and you can do it whenever you want You drop this laser bullet in the barrel of your gun. You don't have to manipulate your gun at all. Whatever gun you have, whatever handgun, they will find you the round for it. I have a 9mm Glock 43. You drop the laser bullet in the barrel. It's not going to hurt, damage your gun. It's got a rubber stopper. It's not going to do anything to your gun, right? You pull the trigger and it emits a laser. You'll see it. It is the coolest thing. It emits a laser onto a target. It ties into a phone app, and you will see exactly where your rounds won. It is the coolest thing ever. You will not not put this thing down. Your marksmanship will go through the roof. And remember, uh, skilled shooters, competitive shooters who do this for a living, dry fire 10 times more than they live fire. Because dry firing is where you're really going to make your marksmanship skills go through the roof. Folks, anybody can shoot a firearm. The question is, can you shoot it accurately? That's the only question. Be better than the bad guys. Go pick it up. It's available at itargetpro.com. That's the letter, itargetpro.com, itargetpro.com. Use promo code Dan, you'll get 10% off. I know it's post-Christmas, but this is a great gift. You got a gift card, you want to pick one up, use that gift card today. Go to itargetpro.com. Use promo code Dan, D-A-N, my first name, get 10% off. You will not regret it. This is a great system and their customer service is spectacular. itargetpro.com. Okay. Okay. All right. Great piece in the show notes today at Powerline blog. I saw on Ned Ryan's Twitter feed. He's got a really good Twitter feed. I always look at his stuff. Uh, It's a piece by Paul Miringoff at Powerline blog. And folks, the Washington Post is freaking out. They're freaking out. Now, the Washington Post freaks out often with everything <laughs> Trump's been doing, but they're losing their minds because they're they're watching the credibility of the Mueller probe collapse. Now, we've done a lot of coverage on the Trump-Russia thing, but I just wanted to bring up one point here and I wanted to move on. You know the difference between the, the, first of the probe the, the Washington Post is doing what the liberals always do and when you hear this term thrown out the one i'm about to give in a second you should automatically disregard what the liberals are saying because they don't use it because they mean it they use it to take away the credibility of credible credible attacks they will always call something a conspiracy theory when they're worried they did it with benghazi conspiracy the do you know it was a conspiracy theory. four people didn't die in Benghazi it oh. didn't happen apparently Benghazi yeah amazing incredible how that happened how we just fabricated the whole story um the, the Benghazi oh, the conspiracy theories they'll call them conspiracy theories for Benghazi the IRS conspiracy theory even though the IRS just admitted and paid out massive lawsuits that had happened whenever the left says conspiracy theory just ignore it's how they try to I um, mean remember Brian Stelter who was trying to insinuate that Mark Levin was a conspiracy <laughs> theorist when Mark Levin was just quoting mainstream <laughs> newspapers it's just a ridiculous. Conspiracy theory is a term used by the left to entirely shred the credibility of the other side when, in fact, it's their credibility under attack and they're worried. They're now using that to describe the Republican information that's being put out there about the Mueller probe, the Bob Mueller probe, the Trump-Russia special counsel, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. Now, Joe, nothing out there right now in the public. Keep in mind, how it's a conspiracy theory, despite the fact that no one's disputing the authenticity of the information, is frankly, candidly amazing to me. So, no one's disputing the fact that the number two in the investigation, uh, uh, Peter Strzok, texted his paramour's love interest about a a, a so-called insurance plan uh, against the Trump election no one's disputing his anti-trump bias no one's disputing he was intimately involved in the investigation no one's uh, disputing the fact that he emailed uh, that he was involved in the Clinton email investigation no one's disputing the fact that he interviewed Mike Flynn no one's disputing the fact that Andy Weissman one of the lawyers in the case emailed Sally Yates the Deputy Attorney General congratulating her for defying Trump on the immigration order no one's disputing that no one's disputing the partisan leaning of the special counsel investigation with the majority of them being Democrat in fact donors no one's disputing any of this but the Washington Post wants to call it a conspiracy theory now folks this is an organized attack again by the far left hacks in the media notably the Washington Compost the garbage pile known as the Compost which is astonishingly a paper that says whose slogan is democracy dies in the darkness as they are the ones turning the lights out that is fascinating The difference between this and Benghazi and the IRS, as I have said repeatedly, and you should constantly tell your liberal Looney Tunes friends that are supporting this witch hunt investigation into the president, is Benghazi and the IRS scandals actually happened. Four people died in Benghazi. Four people were not helped. There was no action plan, and I'm telling you as a former Secret Service agent, despite the fact that it was a, there was a, an incredibly biased ARB that put out a nonsensical report, an accountability review board about this, we still don't have answers, and I can prove it to you. Prove to me why no help was sent, where President Obama was the night it happened, and why there was no additional security laid out before. You can't. So we don't have the answer. So you acknowledge that. OK, thanks. So that actually happened. All right. The IRS scandal, if that was a conspiracy theory, the IRS scandal. And tell me why the IRS just paid out millions, millions, by the way, and acknowledge that they, they, in fact, did this targeted groups. Why did that happen? Because they were just making it up and the government's eager to give people money they uh, that the government doesn't have. What you can never prove, so we know Benghazi and the IRS actually happened. You can never prove the collusion actually happened with the Russians because you provided absolutely no evidence whatsoever. And all you keep saying is, oh, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. And in this uh, Powerline blog piece, which is in the show notes today, please read it. It's good. It's short and sweet. He makes a great point that the quickest way, Joe, to destroy your credibility in an investigation against the president of the United States or anyone else for that matter is to keep asking the public for patience. But never producing a scintilla of evidence of what you're asking for patience for is actually going to happen. You know, it's pretty tough if I were investigating Joe for Martian collusion with the Martians, like there was an invasion coming up, yeah. to keep asking you for patience and never produce an ounce of evidence that, one, Martians exist, and secondly, Joe's colluding with them. It's a good piece, folks. And I bring it up because this is going to be the new attack now. As I told you months ago, first it was Russian collusion, then they moved on to obstruction of justice. Now they're having a hard time with obstruction of justice, too, because no one can prove that Trump actually obstructed justice, including Jim Comey and the FBI, number two, themselves that acknowledge there were no impediments to their investigation at all. It's pretty hard, Joe, to prove obstruction of justice when justice is ongoing yeah. and nobody stopped it. Obstruction means stopping or trying to get in the way or impede. The investigation's ongoing. The FBI's already acknowledged nobody obstructed justice. Now, so again, collusion. They moved on to obstruction of justice when that wasn't going to happen. That's not going to happen either. Now they're going to move on to uh, to attacking the Republicans for attacking the special Counsel, which is notably biased. And they're going to call this all big conspiracy theories on the right wing. Ignore it, folks. Ignore it. It is another Washington Post scam to kill uh, democracy by imposing darkness upon you. That's what they do. All right. There's another, this is another great one out of the uh, Wall Street Journal today. You know, to all the charitable organizations out there that are fighting uh, this tax bill, I am i have to tell you, if you work for one of these places that are, not all of them, but there are a good number of them that are, a lot of charities, Joe, are, are really upset about the tax bill. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm very disappointed. Um, my wife and I give a good amount to charity. We give a little amount of, a little good amount of time as well. I mean, we're not patting ourselves on the back. We can always give more and we should and we're going to try and, and we're going to do the best we can. There's a lot of things we want to do this year, as a matter of fact, especially when things change in the next couple of weeks for us, mm-hmm. which is good for you all, by the way. We'll let you know soon. But I'm really disappointed in charitable organizations out there, Joe. You would think by their attacks that charitable deductions. So just to be clear, pre-tax bill, right. you were free to deduct a good swath of the money you gave to charity from your from your tax bill, from, uh, from your income is a better way to say it. It was tax deductible. Right. You're also free to do that now. So, Joe, you're probably like, okay, I'm confused. All right. If you were free to deduct charitable contributions before the tax bill and you're free in the exact same way to do it now, why are charities losing their minds over this tax bill? Joe, this is unbelievable. They're upset because the standard deduction in the tax bill doubled for a married couple from twelve to twenty four thousand. Let me explain this to you in a minute. Why this and, and and the total? I mean the unbelievably disingenuous attacks by charities. So if you were a married couple before. Um if you itemize meaning you you've listed expenses right mm-hmm. in your in your tax bill and you you sit, let's say you had a business and you invested in cameras and you wrote off mileage and office space if you had more than $12,000 in deductions you would itemize because the standard deduction Joe in other words the deduction anybody anywhere anytime could take if they were married almost I don't want to be overly dramatic, but the majority of people could take 12000 in deductions no matter what. Okay. You understand? Yep. Doesn't matter. Joey, Bobby, Tony, Maria, it doesn't make a difference. If you didn't have, say, $12,000 in business expenses, mileage, office space that you could deduct, it made no sense. Because why? Because you were already getting 12000 mm-hmm. but in deductions. It made no sense. By doubling the standard deduction for married couples, which is going to benefit the overwhelming majority of people out there to $24,000, it now doesn't make it economically and financially sensible, Joe, for you to itemize your expenses if you don't have up to, what, $24,000, because you're getting that deduction anyway. Some of those deductions were charity. So some of these charitable organizations astonishingly are upset. Their point is basically this, Joe. They're hoping you pay higher taxes through a lowered standard deduction so they can be your escape hatch. In other words, doubling the standard deduction, now some people aren't going to donate to charity because in the past, that deduction, that that charitable deduction, they the money they gave to the charity, they could have deducted. And now most of them aren't going to itemize because they fall under the $24,000 standard deduction. Mm. So we may lose some money. So let me get this straight. Your point again is that you're hoping we all pay higher taxes. That what? They go back to a lower standard deduction. So most of us get worked over by the tax code so that the only way we can get out of paying said higher taxes is by giving money to you. Now listen, folks, I'm all about charity. But this is the dumbest stance I have ever heard in my entire life. Do you see where they're going with this, Joe? That you're going to save money automatically yeah. now that in the past you only would have saved by donating to them. Now, what's amazing, and a great point they make in the Wall Street Journal piece, is how economically stupid this is. One of the record decades for charitable donations, Joe, over the last four or five was the 1980s. Who was in office in the 1980s? Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. They said the exact same thing about the Reagan tax cuts. Are you going to cut taxes? Therefore, people won't need us anymore to get out of paying taxes. Uh, Wrong. What happened? The economy exploded. People made boatloads of money in the eighties, and what did they do? They gave good chunks of money, historic chunks of money, to to, uh, charities. Folks, come on. I mean, seriously, if you work for one of these charities, is this really where you want to go? Is this really where you want to go? I demand you pay higher taxes so that we can be your only escape lane off the highway, off the high-tax highway. Come on. Give me a break. That's really silly. I read this piece in the journal today. I was really upset. All these statements by these charitable organizations. Oh, this is Armageddon. This is devastating. Look at what's going to happen. The incentive to give to us, the incentive, the incentive to give to you is to help people. If you're, if you're donating to charity only to get out of taxes, you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. Just I I don't know I wanted I was very upset about that. All right, uh, tomorrow I got a couple great stories for you as well. One about the uh, uh, Trump red tape. Uh, He has done just an incredible job eliminating red tape. I mean, his wait till I give you the numbers, historic amounts of red tape and government regulations wiped out. And secondly, I will be on Levin tonight, filling in for Mark. If you want to tune in, go to MarkLevinShow.com. Be taking some calls if you want to call in as well. It's 877-381-3811 to the Mark Levin Show. All right, folks, talk to you tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show.